Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we can be here and sing your praises. And just thank you for how great you truly are. Father, I pray this morning as we dig into your word that you'll open our ears to hear it and that you'll speak through me as I share. Father, just to be with us for the rest of this morning. Pray this in your great and heavenly name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to get a nice good morning back. So for those of you that don't know who I am, my name is Devin. I'm the family ministries person here at the church. And I get the privilege to share God's word with you. And I'm very excited for that. So thanks for coming and listening to me speak. It's a lot, it's a lot nicer when there's people smiling back instead of empty chairs when I practice. So that's good. And my hope for us this morning is that we'll be challenged by this message as we look at a passage that could very easily just be read by. Um, as I was preparing for this message, I struggled with it. It was hard because I've heard, you know, the Palm Sunday classic text so many times that it had just become something that was like, oh, that's just plot to get to the good part. But there's actually something good here that we can learn and take from it. And my hope is that we'll all kind of grow a little bit deeper in our relationship with God this morning. So we're in our a series called Glimpses. And as I understand this series, it is a glimpse shared in scripture to help us understand something greater. And as I looked at the glimpse that we're going to see this morning, I actually got to see a little bit more about Jesus. And we, we, I got to dig in and see more out of his character. And John started us last week talking about the power of forgiveness. And the Easter season really is all about the power of forgiveness. It's a truly awesome season. And I'm sure for some of us, you guys have already started prepping. If you're having family over, you might have already started cooking the vegetables or getting stuff together. And so let's hope that for this time this morning and the next weekend when you guys come on Good Friday and Sunday to church, that we can just pause and worship our great and heavenly King together. But if you missed last week, that's okay. You can catch it on our website or you can watch our live stream on YouTube. They all get saved there so you can go in and watch them. But uh, this week is Palm Sunday. And this is the great arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem. This is a moment that went down in history. And as far as I'm concerned, this moment in history, this Palm Sunday and Easter weekend, is probably one of the most epic and biggest moments in human history. Because with it, it brought a change that is still impacting people today. So as I was thinking of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, my mind instantly jumped from triumphant entry to parades. And I know that's a little bit of a weird jump there, but it's kind of like a parade of what happens. And as I was thinking about parades, I was thinking about if someone threw a parade for me, held one in my honor, how would I want to enter? Now, for your sake, you're not going to think, oh, I'm going to throw a parade for Devin. How am I going to want it to happen? No, think about it for yourself. So if you, someone was going to come up to you and say they're going to throw a parade for you, how would you want to enter? Shortly after I thought about that, I realized, oh yeah, I'm an introvert, so I want to be snuck in the back door and no one look at me. But if they was forced on me, and they're like, okay, Devin, you're going to have to have a parade, because sometimes I get forced to have people look at me, and I just, I deal with it. So they're like, all right, we're going to throw a parade for you. And I'm like, okay, fine, you can have a parade for me. Um, well, how would it break down? There's actually a lot that goes into a parade. 
First, you think about all the, like, the epic big balloons that, like, people are carrying on the strings. And going in, it's like, all right, so what kind of balloons do you want to have to represent you? And then, like, people that dress up in costumes, what kind of characters do you want to have? And, I mean, you could spend a good, like, couple hours figuring out, you know, whether or not SpongeBob really helps show who you are or not. I know, big life decisions. And then you got to think about music, right? So a parade's not a parade without a marching band. So what kind of songs are they going to play? Is it going to be like a typical marching band song? Or are you going to get them to do like a marching band rendition of like your favorite song? So what's that going to look like? And then you have to have free giveaways. And of course, that's only some type of candy. So what kind of candy are you going to be handing out? And then like the kids ministry person in the back of my mind's like, make sure it's allergy friendly because there's so many allergies around. And you don't want like some kid crying on your parade because they, they couldn't eat the candy. That's just no good. And then how are you going to come in? What are you going to be riding on? Are you going to choose a car? Are you going to choose an animal? Are you going to choose a float? What, what's going to be the best way to bring you in? And then on top of that, how are you going to wave? Because the way you wave is very important. And I've, I've broken it down into two spectrums. So on like the, the calm poised, you got like the queen wave. The classic like... Yeah, that person's sophisticated. You got that together. Or you can do what I like to call the high mom. And that's like the... <laughs> the full out, just like going 100%. You're stoked that people actually showed up to your parade. And then after I had thought through all of these processes, and I'm not going to give you everything I picked, um, but I realized that a good like 20 minutes had gone by, and I spent all that time thinking of a parade that's probably not going to happen instead of writing my sermon. So I thought, I'll just put it in my sermon and it'll be all right. But <laughs> when it comes to making change, and I'm sure the way we could, we could get into a debate this morning about how a parade's going to look. But when it comes to making a grand entrance, the one thing we can all agree on is that we want it to leave a mark. Think about what you would choose to come in on. All right. So let's say you were like thinking in your head, I want to come in on a car. Right? You're not going to pick a Hyundai Accent. I mean, it's a great economical car, but you're not going to want to be driven in, sticking out of the sunroof, if, you, if it has one, and being like, oh, look, here I am. No, you're going to want like some type of sports car or probably a convertible so you can sit on the back of it. I mean, like you'd want to come in on something fancy. Because if you came in on a Hyundai Accent after like SpongeBob, no one's going to care about you. Or if you choose an animal, you're going to want like something really cool. You're not going to be like, I'm going to come in on a kitten because that poor cat won't make it. But, <laughs> but you're going to be like, okay, maybe a horse or, or like some type of epic animal. If it was me, I'd choose a bear. I know that a lot would have to go, come into play to make a bear work because first the bear would have to like me. <laughs> and then have to let me ride it. But I mean, like, how cool would it be to ride in on a bear? Maybe it's just me, but I think that'd be pretty cool. And then if you chose a float, there's the whole process of, like, what's your float going to look like? Are you going to have T-shirt cannons on the float? Are you going to just do, like, fireworks? I mean, because you want to leave a mark. You want there to be a buzz. You want there to be excitement. You want people to talk about it more than just the next day. Well, Palm Sunday is really the day where we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And... Most importantly, we're going to look at the context of what's going on around it. So um, we're going to read Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 5 this morning. 
So it says, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So this is like a, a plot moment in scripture. And again, like as the first time I read this, I was like, okay, yeah, this is just getting to the good part. It's like when you're reading a book and you can feel that it's ramping up and you just want to keep reading. But there's actually stuff going on and there's actually stuff we can learn about God's character. And normally when I get into scripture, I like to explain the context behind what's going on around, but it's explained in this verse And I mean, I could go into like the geography of like what direction they were maybe coming in from, but that's not necessarily needed to dig into the depth of what's happening because you learn a lot about Jesus as we look at this triumphal entry, these five little verses. So let's dig in. We'll start with verse one. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. So there's a group, they're traveling with Jesus, Jesus and his disciples, they're heading towards Jerusalem, they're coming into town, and as they're walking up, they see a village up to the side, and Jesus says, all right, two of you go on in. But for what? Let's keep reading. Verse 2. Go into the village over there, he said, and you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them here. So the way I imagine this And I always run scenarios of scripture in my head because having an active imagination when you're reading is a lot of fun. So I imagine like they're walking and they're heading towards Jerusalem. And, you know, maybe one of the disciples is like, are we there yet? Jesus is like, oh, we're getting there. Don't worry. And they see the village up ahead and Jesus kind of slows down. And the disciples get kind of excited. They're like, okay, Jesus is slowing down. Is he going to teach us something? Is he going to... Is he going to do a miracle? Like, what's going to happen, right? Because they've been traveling with Jesus all this time, and they've gotten to be a part of miracles, and they've seen awesome things. And so they'd be excited when Jesus slows down. It'd be like, there's a moment. And he says, all right, you two go on into the village. And they're like, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to evangelize in the village? Are we going to perform miracles? Are we going to feed all the people? Like, what's, what's going to happen? And Jesus is like, go and take the donkey in its colt. Could you imagine how they felt? They're walking into a village. A village isn't very big. I mean, it could have been a fair-sized village, but it wasn't going to be a giant one. So people would notice new people coming in. Then when they get to the village, they're going to walk in, they're going to untie someone else's property, and then walk out with it. And in the back of my mind, if I was one of the disciples, I'd be like, so Jesus, you want us to steal? Jesus looks at the disciples and he sees the fear. And as we continue to read, we'll see how he answers and deals with this. But this gives us a glimpse of Jesus' authority and power. See, because the thing that we forget is that Jesus is fully God. When we read about him, maybe you don't, but quite often I do. When I read about him, I'm like, yeah, but he's still human. And yes, he is, but he's still fully God. And Jesus is a very humble person. So there must have been a reason why he was asking them to go in and take it. And we'll get into that later on. But also, when it comes to our relationships with God, how often do we as Christians say, you know, God, everything you've given me is yours. You know, I give glory to you for everything I have, all that kind of stuff. And that's good to say that, 
But then that also means that it's God's. So that donkey and that colt were his. So he wasn't asking his disciples to steal it. He was asking them to come take what was his. And for the person that owned them, sure, he's probably going to be sad. He's missing out on his donkey and his colt, but it's still not his property. It's God's. Let's keep reading. Verse 3 says, If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, The Lord needs them, and he will immediately send them. I love moments like this. You could, you could just tell that Jesus saw these two disciples. He saw the fear coming into their eyes of like, you want us to go steal? And he addresses the question before it happens. And this is, Jesus does this often in ministry. He addresses the question before it even comes out. Or he addresses the heart issue behind it. And how many times in our lives, in our relationships with God, have we been reading our Bible and been convicted by something? And you're like, I need to do this. But as you think about whatever that scenario is, you know, whether it's giving up a sin or you need to be, or you feel like convicted to serve, cough, cough, kids ministry. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but like you feel convicted to serve or you feel like you need to be giving more or, or whatever the scenario is, whatever it is, you're like, okay, but I don't know if I can do that. And then you look down and you read and the next verse is Jesus or God saying like, I'm going to be with you or I'm going to help you. or I'm going to bring people into your life that can help you get over this or get through this. So Jesus was equipping his disciples by answering their fear before even sending them in. He's like, you're going to have success. Just head on in there and get that donkey in its coal. I want to park on the phrase. So Jesus addresses what they are to say before the person even asks them. So someone comes to them and says, what are you doing? And rightly so, if you own that donkey and colt, you're probably wondering why two random strangers are untying it and starting to walk away with it. That's not okay. So asking, what are you doing with it? He says, the Lord needs them. That's the reply they are to give. The Lord needs them. And I want to focus in on the word Lord. See, the word they used in Greek, and I'm going to butcher this, is kyrios. And the, the Greek word had significant meaning. So the, that version of the word for Lord was being used in a way of like a slave would speak to their master, in a, in a form of respect. So when he says, the Lord needs it, the Kyrios needs it, he's saying, look at this, this is the form of the Lord in respect, and it would have huge significance for them because they would all understand what that meant. So when the disciples said to this person that the Lord needs the donkey and needs the colt, he would have understood that this was someone that they highly respected. This was someone that was highly important to them and probably wanted to pay respect to that person as well. And that's why he allowed the donkey to go. Or maybe he could even look out and see that it was Jesus just outside of the village and was like, yeah, I'll let that go because that's Jesus. Because people knew about Jesus. The word carried heavy significance. And it's this cool moment again where, where Jesus is showing just how truly powerful he is. That people respected him as Lord. Let's keep reading. Verses 4 and 5 say, This was done to fulfill the prophecy. Tell the people of Israel, Look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a colt. The magnitude of what's being said here is kind of big. Matthew is pointing the reader. Because again, we're reading the book of Matthew. And this book was written to an original audience. 
So Matthew's pointing the reader to the fact that this is a prophecy that was from the Old Testament. That Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy from the Old Testament. And it is the prophecy that Zechariah shared. And we're going to actually read that this morning and then talk about it a little bit. So we'll read from Zechariah 9, verse 9 to 10. And it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I'll destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Zechariah existed long before Jesus. And in this book, he's addressing the Israelites. And this is after a time of exile, and they're kind of scattered all over. And Zechariah is calling them back. He's like, come on back. It's time to come together. Let's be a nation. Let's be brothers and sisters again. And through him calling them back, he shares this prophecy. And this prophecy talks about a king. A king that's going to come into Jerusalem and he's going to be righteous and victorious. And he's going to have this grand power and epicness. And, you know, people are excited about that, right? Because having a king come in and he's going to be powerful and righteous and have victory, that's what everyone wants of their king. They want victory. They want success. But then he talks about how this king is going to come and he's going to remove the war aspect of the victory. And I'm sure for the original audience, that would have been very confusing because the way they saw it, the way they knew it, is they knew all of, the, all of victory came through war on the most part. Because quite often, if they were enslaved, someone was raised up, they took over the bad guys. You know, it's the classic movie plot. They beat the bad guys, then they win. And that's what they knew. So they hear that this king is going to bring peace and going to take away the the battle chariots and the war horses and the weapons used for war, that's crazy. And it's talking about a victory that's going to happen without there being that type of war. Miraculous. This happened all before Jesus. And Matthew's pointing back to it saying, this is a moment where Jesus came and fulfilled that prophecy. So that's that's our scripture. But there's a few things we need to consider. There's a few things we need to look at in order to kind of pull more out of it. So I have five things for us to consider this morning. The first one is the triumphant entrance was a common tradition back then. So their history, and you can see this even from Zechariah, because it talks about a king coming in and, and riding on a donkey, on a donkey's colt. It's, it's talking about how like, this king is coming in and a triumphal entrance. He's bringing victory to the city. And this was a common trend. Kings would often go out and they'd wage war with their armies. And as they came back, they'd come back with all the spoils of war and they would parade into the city. And everybody would see them coming on in and they'd get so excited and be like, oh, look, it's coming. Here it is. Here's our king. He's returning. And they'd see the soldiers and the king would come in on his horse and have his armor just like gleaming and shining. And it would be like all epic. And they'd have like the string of like all the cattle that they were bringing in and all the jewelry and all the slaves. And everyone was excited because it was bringing in all this awesome new stuff 
for their city. And their king won, which meant their king was good, and their king was powerful, and their king was victorious. And this was a common trend. They'd go out to war, they'd come back, and if they won, they'd be celebrating. And it would be a triumphant entrance. But when Jesus was approaching the city of Jerusalem, he was spotted. It was normal for the people to be running out and to be excited. It was normal for them to see it. The second thing we have to look at is the choice of steed. Why would Jesus ride on a colt? As we know, the donkey and the colt were taken from the village of Bethpage. But I mean, there's something going on here. And the easy answer for me to say would be, well, it fulfills the prophecy, and then to move on. But there's more to the story than just that. When a king rode in, he didn't just ride in on a horse. He rode in on a war horse. This is like the top 1% of horses in their city. It had been bred from the beginning to have no fear, right? Because a horse has to run straight into battle. If I was a horse, I'd be terrified. So it's trained to have no fear. It was fed well. It was taken care of. The horse would have like muscles all over. And it would be just like dressed in the expensive, fancy, beautiful fabrics. And maybe even have armor on it. And it was like this beautiful, epic display. And I'm sure the king probably had their squire buff their armor before they made it in. So when the sun was out, it was shining and gleaming. And everyone's cheering and exciting. And that's what they would expect for a triumphal entry. They would expect the person to walk in on the best possible option. But Jesus chooses a donkey. To go back to my car analogy for the parade, it's like a king would come in on a Ferrari. Jesus came in on a Hyundai. Again, it's a great car. It'll get you there. (laughs) Nice and economical. But like, you could be like, really? You couldn't pick anything else? I mean, you could rent a car for a day. But the, the, and then Jesus chooses the lowest of low options of the donkeys. He takes the colt. For those of you that don't know what a colt is, it's the like, child of the donkey. So it's untrained. And the reason why they took the donkey and the colt together was because the colt would get spooked. Could you imagine having a whole bunch of people running and screaming at you in a language you don't understand? That's scary. And it would scare a colt. So they had the donkey there with it because they would see their mom and be like, okay, well, mom's cool, so I can be cool. It's going to be all right. Everything's safer when mom's there. And Jesus chooses to ride this untrained, unprepared donkey into the city. This teaches us how truly humble our Savior is. Think about how he did his ministry. You spend any time reading or learning about Jesus, one of his common characteristics is that he's a humble person. If he performed a miracle, he incorporated other people. If he healed someone, he told them to keep it quiet. Jesus wasn't ever about taking the spotlight and being like, check me out how great I am. He always chose humility. And he was doing it for a reason. Because being humble is important. And Jesus showed us time and time again, by example, that humility is the best option. 
So he rode in on a donkey's colt as his grand triumphal entrance. The third thing to consider is why Jesus even chose to do a triumphal entry in itself. Right? He's a humble guy. Why does he need to enter into the city and to make a show of it? Again, the obvious answer would be, well, let's look at Zechariah and say he's doing it to fulfill the prophecy. But again, there's more to it. See, throughout Jesus' life, he did ministry. And he made a grand impact. But he was choosing to celebrate one of the grandest moments that was about to come. He was choosing to celebrate the biggest moment in human history. That's coming next week. Jesus did a lot. And during his time in ministry, he changed people's lives and he impacted them, whether he, ta- he spoke to them or whether he did something for them. He made an impact. But what he was about to do, how he was about to go on the cross, how he was about to die for our sins, all the time that he had in ministry doesn't even come close to that epic moment where he stood and took our sin away. He defeated the main core issue of humanity, and that's sin. But why would Jesus celebrate it before it happened? Again, most kings, when they came in, they were coming in after it happened. They were celebrating it after the fact. Jesus chose to celebrate it. And the reason for this is simple. When it comes to sin, it has no hold on God. God had a plan to redeem us, and it was going to be victorious. And we are here today because it was victorious. So he celebrated it before it happened because God's power is limitless. The fourth thing to consider is the crowd's thoughts on what is going on. So again, from the crowd's perspective, they would have seen the people coming in. It would have been an off distance. They would have seen it coming in and been like, this is great. And the early adopters would have been like knocking on doors, calling people like, let's go out. There's something happening. Let's check it out. As they got closer, they saw that it was Jesus. And again, they knew who Jesus was. So they would have seen that it was him. And they'd been like, oh, it's Jesus. What is he going to do? I mean, Lazarus lives near Jerusalem. They knew about him being brought back from the dead. They would have heard of the miracles. Jesus was kind of a celebrity, for a lack of better words. People were excited. They're like, let's see what he's going to do. Is he going to feed us? He's going to do a miracle? Who is he going to heal? They were all excited. And then for some of the deeper thinkers, they're thinking of like the Zechariah prophecy. And they're thinking, this guy's going to be our Messiah. Some of them would have thought that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to overthrow Rome and to reign as their king. And that's why he was coming in for the triumph and victory, is he was going to take over, run reign, and everything was going to be perfect. The problem is, <clears throat> the problem is, is that is what Jesus did. Eventually, when he died, another king would have taken his place. And that king wouldn't have been Jesus, and it wouldn't have been perfect. What Jesus did was something far greater. So, spoiler alert, Jesus never intended to overthrow Rome. Sorry if that's shocking for you this morning. Our fifth thing to consider is Jesus' intentions. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, he established a kingdom, but it was not what we expected. 
And this shouldn't surprise us, because in Jesus' ministry, he quite often did things that were unexpected. Take for the example the miracle of feeding the 5,000, which was much more than the 5,000. If you're off on a mountainside in the middle of nowhere with your friends, and you see a large group of people coming to you, the first question is not, how are we going to feed them? You're probably thinking, how are we going to get them to go home so they don't starve? But Jesus' first question was, how are we going to feed them? And then they fed them with five loaves and two fish. Amazing. So the way Jesus approaches things is always a little bit different, and it's not what we expected. So when he entered in Jerusalem, he was bringing in a kingdom. But it wasn't what we expected. It wasn't a war-waging one. There was a war going on, but it was different. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, and then later on, went on to the cross, he was waging a war against sin. And he was coming in triumphantly, saying that victory is coming. It's the parallel between how they saw a kingdom and how God saw a kingdom. Think about this. Jesus is our king. Yet time and time again, while he was on earth, he chose to serve the least of these. He was their king, but he spent time with people that were seen as less than and down and out. He spent time healing people. He focused on kids and cared about kids and spent time blessing them. He did everything that they just didn't understand. But he was teaching us that the kingdom that he's bringing has a different way of thinking. It comes through serving, through love, through humility, through caring for those around you. What an awesome kingdom it is. And it's still around today. And it unites us as believers. So as I start to wrap things up, I wanted to share a couple applicable thoughts. And they come in the form of two questions. So the first one is, how do we perceive Jesus? If I'm being honest with you, it's very easy for me to forget about who Jesus really is. How often do we approach him as like a wish factory or an ask genie and we just pray and we ask and ask and ask of him, forgetting all that he has done and just being like, okay, that's old hat. What's next? Are we perceiving Jesus the way the crowd was perceiving him, expecting him to come in and perform miracles and make a big change? Or are we perceiving him as a triumphant king that overcame the largest struggle that we've ever had in our lives? And through that, we have victory. Through that, we have freedom. Through that, we can have a relationship with God forever. How are we perceiving Jesus? And the last question, did Jesus fulfill his prophecy? And to answer that, I want to read Zechariah 9 verse 10 again. It says, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. We are seeing this prophecy coming together. For those of us that believe in Jesus and have accepted him into our hearts, we have a peace that we just can't explain. And it came through God. It came through Jesus triumphantly coming in and victoriously conquering sin. This kingdom is going to one day be in full effect on this earth. And it's going to be awesome and amazing 
and beautiful. There will be no pain. There will be no struggle. There will be no sadness. That sounds like a world I want to be in. So yes, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy and is continuing to fulfill the prophecy. As I conclude, I want to share a glimpse for you. So in case you just like, you got like overwhelmed by how great my beard is and you're just like, I have no idea what this guy said. (laughs) I, I wrap this all up into one simple conclusion, one simple glimpse. And it is that Jesus celebrated his victory before the events were written in our history. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are overly whelmed by just how amazing you truly are. That you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, that he conquered sin, the one thing that we could never overcome. And you did it because you love us. Your kingdom is built from the love of a father to his children. And that is just so amazing. And for that, we are so grateful, God. So help us perceive you the right way. And help, us re- and help remind us when things seem dark that your light shines through. Pray this in your great and heavenly name. Amen.